Martin. Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books, and subsequently each of our careers, went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a Big Five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. Welcome to this week's Publishing Rodeo, the podcast where we make Scott Drakeford cry every week. And <laughs> with us today is Nadia Afifi, who is the author of the Cosmic Trips trilogy, which is a series of sci-fi novels. Uh, she also Her writing also focuses on travel, pop culture, Arab feminism, science fiction, and anything else on her mind. I actually know Nadia because we have the same agent in common, and long ago, Naomi sent me your contact details to get a referral. Um, I remember that. to the show. <laughs> yeah. And we are hoping, I guess, to talk to you about the kind of small press experience, because this is something we get a lot of questions about and which mm -hmm. we have kind of no experience of. So feel free to talk about your publishing journey and how that went and how you got to where you are. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, where do I begin? Um, so I think uh, my writing journey began like uh, a lot of authors where um, I finished my first book, uh, The Sentient, and... Uh, I decided I was ready to go find my literary agent and become a publishing superstar. Um, and of course, uh, my first draft of the book was terrible and I didn't know it. Um, I kind of, I was a typical inexperienced writer and I queried with a very under-edited manuscript. You know, I, I, it needed a lot of work. So I started off with a lot of form rejections, eventually went back to the drawing board, got some critique partners, started taking writing workshops and learning what wasn't working in my novel. And then I went back and queried again, this time with more luck. And I um, eventually signed with uh, Naomi Davis, as Cindy mentioned. Then the next process was going on submission. I guess uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably familiar. But yeah, when uh, you know you go out to editors and uh, look for that um, you know, agent sends out your manuscript looking for a book deal. So we started off with kind of the typical you know, all the big five imprints. I was on submission for over a year, got, you know, some no responses. I got some rejections, uh, many of them kind of polite, but, you know, not quite the story for me. And then eventually uh, my agent shifted to smaller presses and that's where the um, book deal with Flame Tree Press happened for The Sentient. That came out during the pandemic and turned into a trilogy. I was gonna ask if you, you and Naomi discussed submitting to small presses at all. For part of your submission strategy because i think we skipped that conversation but if i'd actually got on an offer i think there are a couple of them like nine star i would have been like i don't know <laughs> um but flame tree is one of the kind of ones that were was on my list for the the book that died on submission the first time mm -hmm. i don't know how much you discussed with naomi like whether were you looking to big five or were you open the whole time to smaller as well but the discussion really didn't happen in a lot of detail up front. I think the initial goal, uh, you know, Naomi was just trying to get a book deal with uh, editors that uh, they thought would 
go for it. You know, generally the target was a bigger publisher just because more visibility, more sales, all that good stuff. And then the smaller presses kind of came in after getting passes from the big five. But it is an interesting point because I think the default usually tends to be up going with the big five when a small press may be a, a good fit for a particular book or there may be an editor who can really work well with an author. So when when Flame Tree took you on, I mean, what was that experience like? And if, if you don't don't have to say anything you don't want to, but you know, feel mm-hmm. free to go into any detail you feel like. You know, it's hard to compare it against anything because my only publishing experience is with with an independent press. But um, I've had a really good experience with uh, Flame Tree overall. And when I first got the book deal, um, I actually heard on April Fool's Day, so I thought it was uh, a joke at first. <laughs> but then once like the joy and excitement settled down, uh, you know, I quickly got introduced to um, the editor at Flame Tree and uh, mainly worked with uh, Don Doria, who's uh, the primary editor at Flame Tree, but also with folks from marketing and other areas. And they kind of do an onboarding, uh, give you an author questionnaire, have you fill out your bio and other information. There were some things I didn't know up front, like um, if you go to uh, the main bio for The Sentient on Amazon, that was something I filled out just assuming that they wanted every bit of information about me potentially put into interviews. Yeah. So it's not the fun zippy bio I would have put there. It was just an information dump. Here's where I got my degree. And I wish I'd kind of known little things like that. But yeah, a lot of a lot of the communication was kind of through email. Um, I didn't have like a lot of meetings, or direct conversations with Flame Tree. It was just sort of, you know, jumping into um getting ready for the marketing and then working on the edits for the book. And that's generally been how I've operated. So you, you've mentioned marketing a couple times. Mm-hmm. And just from looking up Flame Tree Press, I don't know a lot about them, but it looks like they're a an independent press, but they at least now have distribution through Simon & Schuster. So I'm interested to hear what, you know, marketing looked like for your book and how involved you were, what you know about, you know, Flame Tree's distribution and how that compared to your expectations, Mm -hmm. especially since you, you know, went on on sub to Big Five at first. I think I kind of knew off the bat that because I was with a smaller press, I was going to have, there was going to be the expectation that they would help out as much as their resources allowed, but I would also have responsibility as an author to do my own marketing and to take initiative where I could, uh, you know, get the word out on the book. But I was pleasantly surprised when I, you know, when the first book came out, and that was during the pandemic, how much marketing folks from Flame Tree reached out to, um, you know, set up podcast interviews. You know, they have a good network of reviewers and blogs that they work with. So getting, you know, getting reviews of the sentient um, out and about everywhere. You know, I did a couple of live interviews and podcast interviews. So things that I probably wouldn't have even known how to have done on my own, you know, just being, um, an introvert and a, and a non-marketing person. So there was a lot of that. The uh, the distribution, you know, again, uh, you know that it's not going to be competitive with Big Five, but, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to find my book, you know, at, at my local library, um, at bookstores. And then uh, the Simon & Schuster change happened uh, after I'd already had the first book published, which was exciting. Um, I don't know if I've noticed any big difference on my end as an author, you know, in terms of sales and and where my book is getting published, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a black box as an author, you know, people always ask, well, where can I find your book? And I'm like, well, I don't know, (laughs) you know, you could go, you could sit in with a bookstore, you could not, Um, you know, we don't really 
uh, have that superpower to know where it'll be. But I'll, I'll quickly yeah. pause and say for the benefit of listeners who don't know distribution, which some might not do if you're just querying or on sub, distribution is basically the, the core of what trade publishing is built around. And I know, I, were you ever on Absolute Right, Nadia, or was that... No. The, the forums. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to hang out there and they, they used to get very like antsy and, and kind of anal about the term trade publishing versus traditional. Basically, a trade publisher is one that can produce like trade paperbacks or hardbacks and give them mass market distribution, mm-hmm. which means getting books into stores and libraries and so on. Uh, and that's how that for me, that's kind of a dividing line. Like does a small press, are they print on demand? Are they ebook only? Or do they have distribution mm-hmm. um, like Flame Tree does? So Sorry, just explain it. I know you probably know all that, but but some people won't. And yeah, so bigger presses do their own distribution. Smaller presses need to sort of piggyback. So Doll used to piggyback onto Ping One, and I guess Flame Tree piggybacks into Simon and Schuster. Yep. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. So they do get distribution, like at bigger bookstores and chains, you know, Barnes and Noble. Um, I suspect the reality is they have to compete for the same shelf space as the big five. So you know, yeah. while I've seen maybe a copy or two of my book, you know, on the sci-fi shelf. You know, it's never going to be on, you know, the prominent, you know, like front part mm-hmm. of the store, you know, um, kind of highlighted the way um, a book with more, you know, marketing dollars behind it would probably get. Do I remember right? You got a star review, though, from Publishers Weekly. So that they're like, they're, they were submitting you to the, the big trade reviews and yep. you were getting read. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No, that was that was that was fantastic, and yeah, um, got a was. yeah review as well in uh, you know a couple of magazines. So I had a had a Locus interview as well. So definitely, uh, I think it's a myth that um, you know with a smaller press you can't get visibility and exposure. You know, um, there's maybe a bit more of an uphill battle, and you're dealing with a smaller team. But I think that can also be a positive because um, yeah, I don't know about your experience, but I've heard you know with a, a bigger big five publisher you know if you're a new up-and-coming author you're kind of competing for time and attention uh and resources with a lot of other authors including probably more established ones where uh, not to say that doesn't happen as well in a smaller press Mm -hmm. but the the atmosphere always felt a little bit more egalitarian uh working with flame tree like i felt like as a new author i wasn't being pushed to the sidelines you know i wasn't being uh kind of given like second rate attention every time I had a question, you know, I got a quick response. I think you you have a better chance maybe of getting a little bit more uh, support and attention if you're, you know, like in a in a smaller pond. Yeah, cuz I think there's there's probably less of that that you know, one of the focuses of our podcast is the the big gap basically between lead and mid list and it's essentially how that looks between me and Scott and mm-hmm. um, there's not that possibility. They they can't do the big size advances I, I suppose at some of the smaller right. mid-size presses but that in a way means everyone is more on the same level and also monetarily they're maybe more invested in your book because it's a bigger deal to them if one of their authors doesn't succeed right. than it is if like a, a random mid-list debut doesn't succeed they can just write that off yep. I'm guessing <laughs> yeah no I, I experienced that as well I mean like my my starting advance as a new author was um not high um and that kind of continued for book two and book three but I was good with that because you know you end up earning out your advance and uh yeah I think uh, there's a bit less pressure uh, than you'd have with a higher advance and you still feel like you're going to get that support and that marketing because there is that invested interest mm-hmm. in all of their books you know doing well and, and finding a readership yeah, the, I mean, this is an interesting, uh, I guess, similarity and at the same time, a bit of a contrast with 
what you get at you know maybe the the mid list or or even low mid list debut level at big five right because a lot of the things you're talking about marketing wise sound pretty similar to to what tour did for me at least and what i think i've seen from tour and others at the mid list and low mid list level right Mm -hmm. uh they actually i mean to be fair we've talked about a lot of bad stuff but we've also talked about a baseline good which is you know a, a good amount of effort trying to get the book however they can to uh magazines to reviewers get get some visibility on it so it sounds like that's you know not terribly different from what all but the highest dollar uh type big five debuts are getting the the main difference might be or might have been i suppose before the simon and schuster distribution deal might be how much a bigger house is willing to put into a print run Mm -hmm. and then how much they're willing to put into getting you know a certain number of copies on shelves because uh you know i i I do have to mention that tor did a really good job uh getting my books onto a lot of shelves you know i i was really surprised at just how many barnes and nobles and and you know various places had my book and you know i did i did zero things with that you know i i i didn't even see that happening until it had already happened Mm -hmm. i wanted to talk about the whole royalties thing and and you know how that decision process looked for you nadia going from okay big five is a you know a bust for this one what are my options yeah so here's the context i have several friends who have reached out some agented and some not but since we started this podcast they've reached out and said hey you know i've had a few books go on sub and they haven't been picked up and i you know i just feel like i'm at the end of my options do i self-publish and they're very uh you know they're very hesitant to self-publish because they don't feel like they have the right personality which i completely understand Mm -hmm. So did you have any thought of like, okay, maybe I go self-published with this since I have it ready and it's obviously a book you believed in to get higher royalties or what was, you know, what did your, your decision process look like there? Gotcha. Uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Self-publishing didn't really cross my mind. I mean, I think um, I had a, I have another book that died on sub completely. I thought about potentially self-publishing that one uh, when I got more of a readership uh, from the trilogy, but I've still held off on that on the hope that maybe someday it can be revised or I'll just let it go. But for me, I mean, um, the big five was definitely kind of the first choice, but once I realized it was probably going to be with a smaller press, if anything, I still see a lot of value in the traditional publishing route. And I think just for that kind of more kind of mainstream kind of exposure, like, yeah, getting the review in Publishers Weekly, getting, you know, those options as well. And uh, in terms of, um, you know, royalties and all of that, you know, I've talked to other authors and other agents at writers' conferences. My deal sounds pretty much the same as the contract for a five publisher in terms of, you know, percentage royalties you get for like a paperback, hardback, you know, audiobook rights, translation rights, all of that. You know, there isn't really that much of a difference. So, yeah, you're not getting kind of the pure royalties that you um, would get with self-publishing, but you're also still getting a bit more 
institutional visibility, more of a chance of getting, you know, your book on the shelves, uh, getting more sales. Yeah, not the not the work and labor that goes into being a self-published author and having to kind of compete in that world for space and attention. So. And I think uh, I do think having an agent, though, is an important component of that. Like, I know there are some unagented um, authors who go with uh, smaller presses. You know, I think you, you can go that route, but I think having an agent to negotiate the contract for stepping in if there are any issues is, is really important with, with any publisher. And I've, I would just throw in as well that sometimes, you know, for people who don't have agents and are looking at small presses, you will see a bunch of them, because I've got a lot of friends in the poetry scene, and in poetry you only do small press or self-pub. You do get a lot of these smaller presses that will offer things like 50% royalties that are a lot higher than like what Flametree is going to offer, because Flametree is offering standard royalties. Mm-hmm. But in those cases, that's because those publishers don't have distribution. And the, the yep. big cost, the big thing that takes chunk out of trade publishing royalties is distribution. So it's like, yeah, you're going to get more royalties, but you won't be in shops is, mm-hmm. is the stark. <laughs> Whereas like, yeah, Flame Tree is clearly getting you into stores and it is getting you into libraries and stuff. So it, it's sort of earning that money in a way. And well, actually, a good chunk of that money is not even going to them. It's going to be going to Simon & Schuster's distribution team. So Right, exactly. Just, I guess, for authors looking to make that decision, it's like the, the first decision, I'd, uh, the first point I would always tell people to consider is, do you want distribution or not? Because if you're not getting distribution of the press, then is it, I'm not sure it's that different from self-publishing, but getting that distribution is so, so big, even with like a, a smaller mid-sized press, it makes the difference, I think, for me. Yep. Yeah, and I know authors who've gone both routes, and there isn't really a, a right or wrong route, obviously. It's sort of what what the author's goal is and what works best for you. But I do know some authors who have done some self-publishing, and then one of them got a, a deal with Flame Tree. There are, I think, pros and cons of either approaches, but you know they were really excited about the Flame Tree book deal because, again, that distribution and getting more of a readership that then may translate into higher sales for your, um, for your self-published books. So being that distribution is, you know, the primary thing that you're giving up royalty percentage for, how, and this is a question for both of you, because I genuinely don't know, other than the big five who, you know, I I think are, are pretty safe bets in terms of being able to get your book and being incentivized to get your book in, in on as many shelves as possible. How do you analyze or how do you find out what the distribution capability of any given press is? Like, is is your agent even going to know that? Is that something you can ask the press up front and say, you know, what's my print run going to be and how many stores do you send to? Uh, what are What are some questions people should be asking and to whom? I wish I could say I was uh, really sharp and on it and asked all those questions up front, but um, honestly, I I didn't really know who to ask or how to ask that question. I I do recall Naomi saying that um, they looked into Flame Tree's distribution and, uh, you know, had a good good assessment of it, smaller press, but it wasn't something I really dug into or pursued. I was just honestly happy to have a book deal because after a year on submission I thought for sure that book had died on the vine and getting a deal in traditional publishing was already such a huge milestone for me that obviously better distribution that's what every author wants but I was kind of prepared to kind of go with go with what was available. I know a bit from the vanity press side weirdly because I spent far too much time on the internet trying to convince people (laughs) to not jump off the vanity press cliff usually futilely but so a good press just as a general rule of thumb you know 
if you go on their website online, that's the first place to check. If their website is geared towards readers, that's where they make their money. And, you know, geared towards readers means they have a store, they're advertising their books, they're advertising their authors. They will, They should say what their experience is, what their distribution is. If you look at Flame Tree, it says right on the side, you know, Simon and Schuster distribution. It's, it's mm-hmm. sort of there up front because they know that it matters to the people who care about those things. Uh, a bad press is one which is all about getting authors to submit to them because that's where they're making their money from is authors submitting to them in one form or another. And I, on the distribution side, I think, I mean, there are so big indie presses like Scholastic, Kensington are not big five, but they're massive probably have their own distribution i don't know but yeah smaller ones will list it vanity presses or inexperienced small presses are will say things like oh we've got worldwide distribution and then if you actually push them they might say something like, oh we're on ingram which is not useful because self-pub authors can be on ingram so they're not doing anything for you that you can't do yourself they're, they're using ingram in its wholesaler capacity not its distribution capacity Basically meaning your book is technically orderable on a massive catalogue of thousands of other books, but no one is actually selling it to stores, and that's the difference between wholesaling and distribution. So mm-hmm. those are things to look out for, I guess, when you're, you're assessing a good press. And just also how long they've been around, because the majority of small presses fold in two years, and I've had quite a few friends whose books went down with their small presses who did not have good quality contracts or rights reversion clauses, so... You know, one friend of mine, his poetry book was put out by, I can't remember who it was now, a small poetry press. The press folded, didn't have a rights version clause in his contract. He cannot ever publish those poems again. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. just things to look out for, I guess. But, you know, having an agent really will help with that so much. I mean, yeah, that, that is the agent's job ultimately is to do some of that vetting with you and also to negotiate on your behalf to make sure you've got things like that in the contract that, you know, an author may not necessarily know to factor in. Uh, so one of the other things um, that we've talked to various guests, whether, whether they're big five or midsize or whatever, is about formats. And that's obviously a, uh, a big deal in self-pub as well. Um, was your publisher able to, to do all formats? Um, so obviously ebook and physical, but did you have a, an audio book made and how did that go? I did not have an audio book made. The original contract that was included uh, to have audio book rights, but Flame Tree never moved on it for, you know, whatever internal reason. I know they were doing, yep. it looked like they were doing a lot of audio books for the initial uh, releases that they had, and then it kind of slowed down a little bit. So I would guess it would be kind of a selective decision whether or not, um, whether it was the juice is worth the squeeze, because audiobooks are more expensive to make, mm-hmm. but they're advantageous for authors because of, you know, just the higher price of an audiobook and the percentages that is something yeah that i'm still hoping happens but if not you know may get rights reverted back to see if another another publisher would want to move in on the audiobook um do i remember right that you earned out your advance like fairly early with with flame tree you know even in the middle of covid and they were quite uh, hopefully happy with that yes yeah no that was that was a huge relief when when that came through and yeah when i got that first statement and i had earned out the advance that was awesome and yeah it led to the trilogy getting published which was my ultimate goal you know getting the full story told Mm. congratulations (laughs) thank you yeah Definitely a perk of having having a lower advance as well. I guess you know I, I don't mind saying it. It was a thousand dollars, which you know is okay. I think not not unheard of for a, a new author and with a smaller press. Yeah, I'd heard. I think like Angry Robot does kind of fifteen hundred to three thousand, so they're kind of similar. Yeah, similar level. 
And then the advance got a little bit higher with book two and book three, but you know, um, because they're running out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not, you know, uh, job quitting advances uh, by any means. So, so when you go on sub again, if you, you do, do you think you may not be able to say, because I know mm-hmm. I don't, maybe your publisher will listen to you. Do you think that you'll, you would look for other publishers again, um, just to see what you can get in future? I don't know if that's possible or if you feel like it's possible to do. Yeah, I just can keep moving up that money trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, if, if, you know, I kind of stay where I am right now, you know, I think I'll, I'll be happy, but I am trying to go bigger and, and go with Big Five. So actually, yeah, with my latest book, um, I'm currently kind of free contractually to have it sent out anywhere. So I have a book that's about to go out on sub and yeah, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and I guess I would also ask, like, if you have kind of general pitfalls or things that you would warn authors about for that experience or things that they could look out for when they're considering going through that process. Uh, you mean being on submission? Um, well, I guess looking at small presses or at signing the contract or, um, for example, you know, your audio rights didn't get used. Maybe you might recommend people try and hang on to those. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Whatever springs to mind, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking through that. Yeah, I think uh, having a good upfront conversation uh, with your agent, if you have one, uh, to talk about submission strategy, you know, mm-hmm. what, what the goals are, you know, what what is realistic, um, maybe considering smaller presses in the initial round of submission, if mm-hmm. you're kind of more agnostic about where you want to go with publishing. The audiobook thing was definitely something I didn't really think about when I first kind of signed the contract. I mean, uh, I was just excited and I assumed that if it was in there it was going to get made and then yeah like people kept asking when is the audiobook coming out and it's like I don't know and you know it's still an open question asking questions not being afraid to ask questions you know getting clarification on the contract and yeah obviously if you're unagented that's even more important right to have those frank discussions yeah. with the publisher that that's exactly what I went through right is if it's in the contract and you know the the publisher is angling to get the rights for it you assume it's going to be made but i do once again encourage everyone regardless of who you're selling your rights to to have reversion clauses for all formats Mm -hmm. and all separate territories or geographies or however they name those in the contract that that's a big thing i would watch out for Oh, that, that brings up a couple of smaller questions I was thinking of. So this is a bit random, but so one of them is like, did you get any say on cover? And the other question is, what what, about, what happens to translation rights and world rights and things like that? I don't know if they try and shop them. Honestly, I'd have to go back and look at my contract. Uh, there's been no translation <laughs> no rights currently. Yeah it's, all, um, yeah, it's just been in English so far. Um, I've dealt with translation rights for short stories, and that was more just okay. getting approached by, you know, international magazines asking if they can translate and reprint a short story. But, yeah, I'm not sure how things really work on the flame tree side there. And then, sorry, what was the other part of your question? It's been a long day. <laughs> oh, just if you had any involvement. Mm-hmm. And then same here. Invo- if you had any involvement in cover and uh, yeah. that side of it. Yeah, the, the, I did have an input on the cover. The way it worked with Flame Tree, you know, part of the author questionnaire, uh, you're welcome to pitch ideas about the cover. Um, like, you know, just anything you think might make for a good cover. So I threw in just a couple of lines, potential different ideas. And then I 
got an initial preview of the cover, and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't love the initial version that they sent over and reached out to my agent and said, hey, how, how should we handle this? I was kind of in that new author stage of wanting mm-hmm. to pick my battles very strategically and, you know, not, not cause drama or cause a fuss with anything. But there are battles that are definitely worth picking. And, and the cover is really a critical thing, you know, for you know mm-hmm. your reader's first impression of the book and can, you know, cause someone to pick it up or, or walk by it so it was an important one and so I came back with some you know um, feedback on you know what I thought worked what didn't work and then we went through a couple of back and forth and then they nailed the cover and it was uh, it was perfect so um, give the thumbs up on that yeah Flame Tree were great about working with me you know that they, they wanted a good cover and they wanted me to be happy as well and, and we got there and then for books two and three kind of right off the bat uh, the covers were great yeah just gave a thumbs up and we were good to go but it, it was definitely a collaborative process but you know unlike self-publishing you do have to kind of work with the publisher because ultimately they they know what works and they want to sell the book and I you know definitely I think if we just didn't come to an impasse you know there's a possibility that they would just say look tough luck but we know what we're doing and this is going to be the cover of your book so good input mm-hmm. but not full creative control is kind of the reality of traditional publishing i mean yeah. in, in fairness like scott's not got any translated editions either and got no say in his cover so you you're one up in there <laughs> sorry have, scott yeah yeah no i mean like I, I i was involved in early discussions but by the time you know sketches and things came back around it was i mean they definitely took my feedback into account but it was more or less locked in as what it was mm-hmm. plus or minus some from some few uh adjustments so those those questions brought up something i'm curious about with the the smaller press experience as well and that's relative to editing so mm-hmm. a, a brief overview of of what i went through and what i think most have gone through uh in big five is you know you go through an editing process with your editor basically up until your editor is willing to say yes i i accept this as your manuscript and and it's more or less done and then it goes into copy edits and then there are some other things with production and and proof uh readers going through it so proof edits is that more or less the same process or or what do they do at that level yeah um pretty much the same process i basically had the three levels of edits you know um ones with the um chief editor then copy edits after that that were a little bit more granular and then uh, final proofreading mm-hmm. and that process you know obviously took place over several months and you know had a deadline tied to it i was able to get some deadline extensions when my day job was just completely crazy without pushing the actual deadline of the book but yeah i mean i'd say the only difference i've heard uh, from talking to other authors is uh, editors at um, other publishers having larger scale edits so you know kind of changing you know structure a little bit more to the story doing bigger rewrites uh, changing characters and my experience with flame tree was that the the first round of edits were a lot more kind of like line by line you know like looking for consistency and logic and you know changing some details but i never underwent major edits for the book once I signed the book deal. I did them with my agent. I actually removed an entire character from from my first book. But yeah, like uh, the editing process was pretty um, 
pretty hands-off and pretty focused on line-by-line -line edits from the very beginning. Oops, sorry, I was just looking at Edelweiss. I saw you had a hardcover release, which is really cool. No, yeah, I, I, hardcover and paperback both came out at the same time, which, uh, again, I'm not sure is really typical, because I know, yeah, a lot of times you see a hardback before you see a paperback, but uh, mine came out with both at the same time and surprisingly uh, sold quite a bit of both types like there were quite a few people who bought the hardback yeah even though there was a paperback option which i guess some people just like holding the hardback version that is really interesting mm -hmm. well i was gonna say yeah and there was also you know the kindle version which you know obviously sold a lot more and then they did the kind of typical like 99 cent sale on amazon which put me gave me a little orange tag you know put me in like the top 100 briefly which was very exciting. So, you know, you're not, you're not really making any money off of it, but you are getting more readers and more exposure. I'm guessing that's probably typical for, for bigger publishers as well, like uh, putting your book on sale after it's been out for a while, just to kind of boost visibility. Thank you for being so concise on that. I've, I found it really fascinating because I've not, we, I've talked, we talked to Clay a bit about his kind of mid-size press experience and other than that I've only seen small presses from the poetry side do you think very quickly on writing short stories do you think that made a difference with editors or in the querying because I, I think that's something people ask a lot and I always felt like it, it, like everyone always says to write short stories and it's like I did and then no one really cared <laughs> I was querying or on submission. I don't know how you found it. Yeah. Um, I think my view on it is uh, if you're a writer who doesn't like short stories or they don't really appeal to you, uh, don't force yourself to do them. But I think they, they can have some benefit and some crossover. I think for me, you know, I kind of started off with the first novel and then uh, I had a short story published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction called The Bahrain Underground Bazaar. And, you know, I was really excited to be in fantasy and science fiction. You know, it's one of the bigger short fiction magazines out there. And I got a lot of kind of, I got some visibility from that. And I got it reprinted in a lot of anthologies. And I noticed a little bit of an uptick in sales after that of my book. So, you know, readers see it in one place and then go and try to find other things that you wrote. But it also gives you contacts and connections. You know, I've I met some additional editors who you know, wanted to publish it in my anthology and just got onto more podcasts and, you know, it just provided some good crossover. And I think short stories can also have good kind of bang for buck in terms of uh, time taken versus investment. You know, you've got the initial mm -hmm. kind of sale of the short story and then you've got all the reverberating, you know, sales if uh, your story gets reprinted and all of that. And it takes a lot less time to write, at least for me. Like, um, once I get a good short story idea, I can knock it out in a weekend and then spend a couple of days editing and sitting on it, whereas a novel is... More of an endeavor. <laughs> a little, little bit more of an endeavor, yeah. With, with, with or without payoff, you know. I've, I've written, like, I think you've had that experience, too, like, written books that yeah. have died on the vine, and it's always a little soul-crushing when something you put over a year of your heart and soul into uh, never sees the light of day. Uh, I've just got one final question, which is whether you yourself did any promotion that you felt made a particular difference during debut year, because that's something we get asked a lot, and basically neither Scott nor I have <laughs> the headspace or ability to, to self-promote. It's completely fine if you say no, but... <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Like COVID definitely didn't help with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think even without COVID, I'm, I, I'm not the most marketing savvy person. You know, I try to use social media as best as I can. And, uh, you know, when I 
get offers to do interviews and and get out there you know I, I i take them but yeah i'm definitely not a not not creative in in that way no worries that's fine so yeah we were going to invite you to just plug your yourself and your book if that's okay and and just to thank you generally so much for coming on to talk about that experience yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I know this has been a different kind of interview from I'm used to kind of talking about myself and my book and yeah, talking about the Your ins inspiration. And outs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, talking about the ins and outs of publishing is uh, it's fun, uh, you know. Uh, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Often kind of talked about like on the side with writers when you're at a conference or, you know, ChaiCon. That, that was fun. But yeah, I'm uh, let's see. <laughs> how do I how do I talk about myself <laughs> in a way that um yeah, sorry, my brain is completely fried from today. I've been on meetings since like 7 a.m., so I'm trying to recalibrate myself. But uh, yeah, <laughs> my trilogy, Cosmic Trilogy, the, about cloning, cult yeah, and consciousness, was. begins with a main character who has escaped a religious cult in, you know, future uh, North America. Uh, she gets assigned to a controversial cloning project. He is a neuroscientist whose talent is digging into the memories and subconscious of her subjects so she can go in, uh, dig through your thoughts and memories and display them on a hologram and then in th a therapeutic way kind of help a person navigate their experiences and their memories. And so she gets brought onto this cloning project because every subject they've tried to clone has died in the uh, in the third trimester and nobody knows why and the head of the project thinks the problem is psychological. So of course my main character Amira gets brought on and quickly discovers that there's a little bit more going on and somebody is deliberately tampering with these women's memories to try to hide something and that turns into a big conspiracy that involves like a shadowy new age movement fanatics from these compounds who are basically trying to stop cloning from happening at any cost uh, because of you know the threat it, you know uh, the threat it poses to their ideology so that's that's the premise of the trilogy and it goes into twisty places in uh, books two and book three and definitely i think my upbringing uh you know i'm american and also palestinian i grew up in the middle east bahrain and saudi arabia so I've kind of seen the, the consequences of religious extremism in societies, you know, panic about women, women's rights, and also just, you know, political polarization, um, you know, as our society becomes more fractured. Those were kind of the things that were stewing in my head when uh, I first decided I'm going to take a crack at this author thing and actually write a novel. Scott's nodding because he, he's used to <laughs> his own form of kind of ex-evangelical extremism escape story, I think. Uh -huh. uh. Yeah, I yeah no you're you're totally fine and and i'm sold i love that premise you do a, yeah, a really good you. job pitching it thank you so much it was it was actually really informative and i hope listeners will find that informative as well because we do get a lot of lot of questions about kind of out what life outside the big five which is honestly reality for a lot of authors yeah you know, it's a lot lot more options if you go that route yeah no i think i've i've really learned a lot from when i first uh you know started querying and i think uh, a lot of people who aren't really in the publishing space have this kind of you know fantasy of what being a published author looks like and you know people immediately ask me oh when are you quitting your job and you know you have to kind of explain that that's not the reality for most mm -hmm. authors and uh, for most of us, it's a, you know, it's a side job or something we, we do because we're really passionate about. And so I think um, my, you know, my attitude has gotten a lot more realistic uh, since I've been published. And um, I just, I, I'm enjoying the ride. 
You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later. Thank you.